shall we? Can we talk to Jesus? Jesus, we do love you. And we thank you. You're good to us. We thank you that we're all breathing, that we are all uh, alive and well. We pray that we are, we thank you that we're in this room today. We thank you for the word and this book that you gave us, this incredible gift that you gave us to teach us what it looks like to, to follow you and to love you. We thank you for that. Uh, I, I ask that as we talk today that by your spirit, you would just open up whole new stuff out of, out of your word and show us deep stuff that we need to hear and, 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 uh, and convict us of sin and, and uh, encourage us to righteousness. And, and I, I pray that something supernatural would happen, Lord, where, where there's a shift on the inside of every person in this room that we would love you more after this time than we ever have before. Lord, I, I love the truth that your word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And I just, I just, would you set your word loose in this room? Or we, you promised us in your word that, um, that when you sent your word out, it would accomplish what you sent it to do, that it would not return to you void. And I just, I thank you for that promise and I stand on it today. I, Lord, Send your word to us today and accomplish something for the glory of your name. Amen. Okay, where were we? So, any questions? You've been living with your, you know, your test from last week now for a, for a week. Any questions lingering from the fivefold ministry gifts test? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I thought I was like, what? Yes. Yeah. So does that mean, like, I remember you said that like, we should all, like, all that into it after we take the test, but, like, if I went into a ministry that you was one of my lowest kids, would it not work as well as I would go into a ministry with one of the higher ones? I don't know that that's how I would put it. The, the, the reality of this test is no matter what your title, you're going to be that person wherever you go, whatever, wherever you're plugged in. This is who you are. It's not like, you know, oh, so don't don't become a pastor because you don't you're not high in It's not like that. This is a description of who God made you to be. And because of that, wherever you go, that's who you're going to be. You can't you can't shift, you know, yourself from one thing to another purposefully not not your not your ingrown DNA. You can't really move that. Now, God can move it, and as you mature, there will be things that, you know, sometimes will be, you know, things will move. And the, I took the test three years ago, and now it's very different uh, now than it was then. And uh, and that's because God is kind of, you know, he's moved me uh, along or kind of shifted things as my role has shifted. My That's... You know that God—it's his—they're his gifts, and he gets to give them however he wants. Uh, what I'm so I—I I just want you to be aware of what they are, and be thinking about who you are, so that when you are asked to do something, you're going to know. Okay, I, you know this is who I am, so this is going to kind of how it's going to flow. Does that make sense to you? Plus, I want you to be paying attention to what gift you are so that you can bring the uh, the gifts you don't have as much in yourself 
around you to help you accomplish what you need to accomplish. The church should not be run by any one of these giftings. It's not Jesus gave us all five for a reason. He wants all five operating every place that his body exists. He wants all five functioning. And so when, you know, if you know, well, I'm high on the prophetic and I'm low on the pastoral, well, then you need to bring in some people around you who can fill in that for you, that gap. Not because, you know, oh, well, that means I can't be a pastor. No, it, it brings somebody in alongside you that can help you with that. That, you know, you can kind of give them those, those tasks and you can do the things that you, you know, that you're more gifted at. When you add your strengths together, it's like, it's, uh, Rachel and I love leading worship together. Because we effectively double our vocal range when we do. And when I say that, really in worship, there's a very narrow window of notes you should actually sing in a worship service. Because most people can't sing outside of that range. Okay, But on the lower end of that range, I'm not very dynamic vocally. So I have Rachel sing, sing there. Because she is more dynamic there. Does that... Okay, but then when things go to the other end, I'm more dynamic and she's not as dynamic. So, so we really complement each other really well. And we, we know where those are. So I'll say, you sing this song and I'll sing this song. Or you sing that verse and then I'll sing the chorus or whatever. We're working together so that the whole thing is lifted. Because her strength and my strength are being added together. But if you have a church staff that's all prophets and no pastors... You're going to have crazy awesome moments of prophecy, but none of your people are going to be taken care of. They're all going to feel like they're off on their own. You're going to have a whole bunch of prophets following you, but you're not going to, you know, when they, when, when something bad happens or when, when they need pastoral care, they're not going to get it from you because you're not very good at giving it. You're going to, you can try, but you're just not going to be very good at it. It's not something you're great at. Does this make sense? So you need people who are good at pastoral care. They're alongside you, and they can jump in and let their gifts explode out. And it's like, wow, this person feels really taken care of because you have somebody there that that's who they are. So that was the idea. This wasn't to put you in some kind of ministry box and say, well, don't you dare try and do those other ministries. No, give me a break. All of us are required to do all five of those ministries at some point in our, in our life. That's just reality. We all have to operate as, you know, Timothy was a pastor. That was his primary gift, pastor. But the Apostle Paul told him, do the work of an evangelist. Why? Because pastors need to evangelize. And it's the same way with, every, with all the others. There's times when you're going to need to act apostolic. You need to be going to... You're going to need to bring order to, you know, something that's not in order. You're going to need to start something new. There's times when you're going to need to act prophetic, where you need to bring truth and confront falsehood. There's times when you're going to need to act pastoral and take care of people and make sure they're doing all right. There's times when you're going to need to be, uh, you know, to be a teacher. You're going to need to open up the word and explain some, some, something to somebody who doesn't understand it. And there's times when you're going to need to be an evangelist and win the lost. All of us have to do the job, but... We have a makeup that, you know, kind of fits one one thing better than others. You know, I mean, I think can think. I am the one of the least. I I hate 
uh, all organization attempts. I'm, I just I'm not good at being organized, and I am not a detail person. And when I try to be, it wears me out so fast. Uh, the uh, I heard John Piper talk about this once. He said doing that, he used the word desiccates. It desiccates me, which desiccate, that's, that's what a spider does to its prey when, when it, it liquefies and then removes all the liquid. It just dries me out. I am not able to, to encounter God in that kind of ministry. And that is how it is with me. Like when it comes to, let's plan an event. I'm like, no, I don't, you, somebody else can plan the event. You know, I'm just, ter- I hate that so much. No, I don't want to plan the event. Hey, you're a planner. You plan the event, and I'll just write the checks, okay? You know, and that's and that's totally what I did all through youth ministry. I would find people uh, who were good at planning events and pull them in and say, "Plan the event, plan the event, plan the event," because I didn't want to plan it, and I'm not good at it. If I plan it, I'm going to forget five things that are really important because I'm I'm not good at thinking about the details. I know this about myself, so I bring in other people who that is their strength. Like Danae, she's pretty awesome at that kind of thing. It's true, she is. She thinks about all the details. I was terrible about that. I just, you know, never, ever good at it. So anyway, that's that's where we're at. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question, Mari? You guys are like, you put like half of that. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) I teacher teachers high on the list. Okay, so these five ministry gifts exist, and we talked a lot about what they are last time, but we're going to end that discussion with what they're for, what they do. Okay, there's a reason why Jesus gave us those five gifts, and that is um, still as it's, uh, let's see, verse... Uh, 12, it says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which it belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result of these five gifts being in operation, we are no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects, all five aspects of him who is the head, Christ Jesus, from whom the whole body is being fitted, held together, and by what every joint supplies. Okay, so here's the the whole reason that this exists, that these five-fold ministry exists, is so that each of those aspects of who Jesus is in leadership are going to be, they're, they're going to be reproduced in the body. And they're going to be brought to maturity. And we are, as we work together, we will find unity and be manifesting the personality of Jesus on the earth. That's how this works. As these fivefold ministry gifts are in action throughout the entire body of Christ, we, we will show to the world who Jesus really was in fullness. You know, people talk about, boy, I kind of wish I was, you know, there when Jesus was walking around. Well, Jesus said, it's better for me if I leave. It's better for you if I leave. He said, because then I'll send the Holy Spirit, 
And the Holy Spirit will take what's mine and he'll give it to you. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about. Jesus said, I'm going to get out of here so that who I am can be poured out over the whole planet. As Jesus was just here in his own personal being, he couldn't be in every nation at once. He was a physical human being. But by his spirit, through his church, he's manifestly present everywhere on the planet right now. You see, that's what the fivefold ministry gifts are all about. They are five aspects of the leadership and the ministry of Jesus that are being echoed in his body all over the planet. I always think about that, the shoot Christians say video. I just echo the echo of his echo, you guys. Know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? No? Yes, I know. You should see that video. It's really funny. I'm just really guarding my heart. She's got to guard her heart. We are guarding our heart. If you haven't seen the video, you need to see it. But anyway, um, but that's that's the reality of what's going on is Jesus is pouring measures of himself all over the earth so that who he is can be made manifest all over the planet through his body acting in unity with one another. So Jesus is actually accomplishing a couple, you know, more than one thing at a time, which God always does. He is showing forth his own glory and beauty. He is keeping any one person from being exalted and glorified other than himself, which is awesome. Only Jesus will receive glory for Jesus' image on the earth. He doesn't want to put all of his gifts in one person so that everybody starts worshiping that person. That would totally steal away from the point, right? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. We're supposed to worship Jesus. Plus, he makes it absolutely necessary that we work together to accomplish the mission that he gave us so that we are in unity. Jesus knows the truth. You get closest to people when you're working alongside them. When you're doing a job together. Jesus gave us this mission and he said, guess what? None of you can do it by yourselves. <laughs> you're going to have to work together. Uh, I think it's genius. He wanted us to be unified. He prayed that we would. And then he put this thing in motion that would unify us. We all have one heart, and that is the mission of Jesus on the earth, which is the glorification of the Father and the salvation of the lost. Okay, so and we're in the midst of that flow, and we have to be unified because if we don't, we can't accomplish our mission. Does this make sense, everybody? You guys feel like totally glazed and asleep today. Has you guys just been working really hard, or what's going on? What was that? Lack of sleep. All right, everybody stand up and do, you know, reach up to the ceiling, reach down and touch your toes. Let's get the blood flowing. Come on, reach all the way up. Everybody up, everybody up. If you don't get up, I'm going to come pull you up. Come on, everybody up. You are, you are, you don't have to get up if you don't want to. You're fine. Everybody else, though, needs to get up. Stretch. Oh, okay, reach down, touch your toes, and then you can sit down again. All right. Okay. I want you to wake up. Not cheating. Did you really not do it? Do it right now in front of everybody. Except for the like ten times I've whispered the best. Stand up. Stand up. Come on. Come on. Let's see it. Hey, you, are, are you going to submit to leadership, or are you not? Come on, no, come on. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. All right, come on. Let's see it. 
Reach this guy. Okay. Yeah, I did. Rush did you guys and she got up for lighting up point on everybody's wrong. Okay. Wow. Okay. Now that maybe hopefully there's a little more life in you. This word equip. Okay, I used to always think of it as like, you know, you've got this long line of people and then you've got like the pastor, the teacher, the apostle, the evangelist, all like, and I've got a bag full of equipment and I'm handing it to each person in the church as they walk by. Like, here's your, you know, equipment. Here's your equipment. That is not the original Greek word. It's a really interesting word because what the word means is to set a bone or to mend a net. Okay, that's the original, that's the original word. And if you think about this for a minute, what it means is that the job of these five is to restore that person to the purpose for which they were created. And that's more exciting to me than I'm handing you a hammer, go hand, hammer some nails. I'm not giving you something you don't already have. I'm my job is to give you back your own identity. So that you can go out into the world and be the person God originally created you to be and watch his glory explode through you as you are who he intended you to be. It's the job of the fivefold ministry gifts to restore people to their purpose. And that is a huge, that is so cool. That is so great that I get to walk around as one of these people that has this mission on my life. And I get to say, I get to look and see what God, you know, God's going to speak to me about this one or that one or this one. And I'm going to say, you know what? I know that sin and pain and sickness and hurt have broken you beyond the point where you can even be who God created you to be. But let me minister the life of Jesus to you so that you can be restored to the person that God has always dreamed you to be. Is that cool or what? This isn't me giving you something you don't have. This is me giving you back something that was stolen from you because of sin and brokenness and fear. I think that's huge. And that's the call of the, of the fivefold ministry gifts is to restore people to their proper purpose, to give them back the strength that God gave to them at the beginning. And to breathe life back into something that has been stolen from them by the sinfulness of the world and the, the rage of the enemy. I think it's, oh, I love this. And none of you seem to be understanding it at all. <laughs> breathe this in for a minute. God dreamed a dream that was you. Before the foundation of the world, God was thinking about the person that he would create. Thousands of years later, and it was you. And then sin came along into the equation, and it marred the image of God that he wanted to implant in you. It broke every, it attempted to shatter every dream that God had over you, and God said, I care too much. And so he came in, and by the cross of Jesus Christ, he brought restoration to every dream that he had over every person that he dreamed about from the beginning of the world. And he said, I will not allow my creation to be less than I dreamed over them. I refuse. I'm calling them back to the purpose for which I created them. I'm calling them back to the wholeness that I gave them from the beginning. I think that is so 
amazing. What we've got to understand is Christianity is not giving us something that we were never supposed to have. Christianity is the, the, the work on the cross that Jesus did, gave us back our humanity. We had lost it. Sin had stolen it from us, and Jesus, the first true human since Adam, came stepping into our midst. The new Adam came stepping into our midst and said, even as your father Adam gave you identity and then broke it and stole it from you, I'm restoring identity to you. As the new Adam, I'm giving it back. I think that's just, I, I love it. Because the first thing that God said about humankind was, you are like me. Have you ever thought about that? I think human beings, we all walk around thinking how far we are from God. But the truth is that God's declaration over the human race is they're like me. And sin has come in and, and ruined that. But the cross came in and fixed what, the sin, what sin broke. And God can once again say over the human race, you are like me, but only because of the cross of Jesus Christ. That is huge. And that's what our job is. As pastors, apostles, evangelists, teachers, and I missed one. I don't remember which one it was. But <laughs> what? Prophets. Prophets. If there was prophet in the room, they'd be like, you forgot prophet. Because that's how they talk. I'm a prophet. I can make fun of prophets. It's okay. It's allowed. I love kooky prophetic people. I love them so much. I love, uh, every once in a while, I'll have a meeting in my office with Daisy Bailey and Bridget Simpson. And, and, and they'll come in, what? I said at the same time. And say, yeah, they'll come in and talk to me about something we're going to do. And, and within 10 or 15 minutes, we're all going, whoa, Jesus! And we're all like, you know, laughing in the spirit. And, well, Bridget might be doing that, but I don't usually do that. But, you know, just, <laughs> you know, I remember one time we were so loud. God was just, just speaking to us. So, and we're all just like, whoa! You know, the, and we had this crowd gathering outside my office going, what's going on in there? Because we were just blasted by the Holy Spirit. Oh, because we're kooky, prophetic people, and we're proud of it. I love it. I love it. They used to, when I was a kid, uh, and the renewal was happening, and there was all these crazy things happening at church, uh, just manifestations that we had never heard of or imagined going on. Um, they refer to me and my friends as the juicers. Because we, if we were at church, we were probably pretty much wasted in the Holy Spirit. Just, it's just what happened. We would come to church and it'd be like, oh, there's 15 minutes before service. Let's have a prayer meeting. And we'd all be on the floor before service ever started. Because that's just what we did. We were after more of God. That's all we cared about. We didn't care about anything else. We didn't really care about biblical accuracy. We didn't really care about uh, uh, how stupid and flaky we looked. We didn't care about any of that. All we cared about was, I want more of Jesus. And so if there was something going on in the room, like we used to have these experiences where we'd be in the middle of worship and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit would just move on one section of the room. I don't know why this happened, but that whole section would begin to laugh in the Holy Spirit. My friends and I, if we weren't in that section already, would get up and walk over and sit in that section. 
Because no, God doesn't get to move that I'm not going to go jump in it. Because that's just who we were. It's, that was that was life, and we were always sniffing around for the Holy Spirit. Where is he? What's he doing? What's he doing? And it's because we were all prophetic people, and we were just you want we wanted to live in the heavenly realm, and we weren't really interested in earth very much. So yeah, that was us. My wife still talks about. <laughs> She, by the time we actually were in Master's Commission together, that was the opinion she had of me of this flaky weirdo kid who was just way too hyper-spiritual. And she learned later on that I had matured beyond that point by the time I was in Master's and, and I wasn't the kook ball that she thought I was. But that was how she used to think of me and she still to this day tells people that. I had never thought about dating him because he was a kook. He was a kooka ball. <laughs> Flake weirdo that just was, you know, waving banners and and praying for people with hankies, and I didn't really know what to do with him. Oh, God's brought us a long way. <laughs> I should bring my hanky in sometime. You still have it? Yeah, I've got it. Of course I've got it. It was surgically attached to me for like a, two or three years. No, I didn't lose it. I've got it somewhere. You just stopped carrying it around? I just at one point realized that maybe I probably shouldn't. For a long time, I just had it in my pocket, and I would never take it out. But I just had it with me. Is it washed? But, yes, but I covered it with oil so many times that it is like brown. <laughs> Doesn't matter how much you wash it, it will not come really clean. It's ugly. But it smells nice. <laughs> what color was it? It was white. Oh. I was thinking about yellow. It was white, but now it's very dirty, even though it's been washed a thousand times. It's no, then it would smell like bleach. No, I used to put it over my face when I would pray. I didn't want to smell bleach. Anyway, might it be? It's still in oil. When we went to, in the middle of this whole thing, we 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 went to Brownsville when the revival was there. And uh, and one of the things that, that you would wait in line outside all day to get into the church. And so we would just sit in line and play euchre and stuff like that and, and, you know, just pass the day. And these people would come out from the church and they would pick people out of the line to go inside and clean the sanctuary. And so I was trying to be picked because if we did that, we got to save seats. That was like what you get for cleaning the sanctuary. So I would always like, no, please pick me, pick me. So, um, so we would go in, and uh, I was cleaning the pulpit one day, and I'm just like cleaning the pulpit. The lady that was giving us the jobs was really funny. She said, if you're cleaning in the sanctuary, you need to know that sometimes the glory of God will just fall into the room, and when that happens, you 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 know you might fall down, you might you know. And she was trying to explain all these things that might happen to us if the glory just showed up in the room while we were cleaning. That didn't happen. I would have really been cool. I would have loved it. But <laughs> I was cleaning the pulpit, and I was, I was kind of, it was like the, I was cleaning the front of it, and I was, the way the, the pulpit was right up against the edge of the stage, so I was standing on the floor uh, below the stage and reaching up and cleaning the pulpit. And I, and I, put my hand up to, to clean off the top of the pulpit and a hanky fell off of the pulpit and landed on my head. And I went, oh. and I realized that like the primary evangelist of that movement 
that I had seen him put that handkerchief there the night before and that this was Steve Hill's hanky. And I was like, <gasps> like, <laughs> I really almost put it in my pocket. I mean, I was so close to putting it in my pocket. I was just like, <laughs> you know, and then I, I finally, and so we, we were all joking outside. It's like, what if he, they were like, what if you had put it in your pocket? And then like, and then like Steve Hill shows up that night and he's looking everywhere for it and he's freaking out. It's like, you don't understand. There's no revival without the hanky, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and he starts interrogating us. Where were you? You know, it's like, I don't know. I smuggle the hanky out of town. Anyway, I don't know why I told you that story. Just, just to illustrate the kookiness of the prophetic. It's always fun. Anyway, so <laughs> the point of these fivefold ministries is to is to restore people to the purpose for which God created them. It's just to the building up of the body, setting in order according to the plans God laid out, like a builder working from blueprints until the attaining of, and here's the blueprints. This is what the body should look like if the fivefold ministry gifts are in operation. Are you ready? One, unity. If the fivefold ministry gives her in proper alignment in the church, the church will operate out of a place of unity. There won't be striving. There won't be, uh, you know, uh, 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 my brain's not working. You know, just different factions within the church. There won't be, it, it won't, all the puzzle pieces will be together in in their correct place. You know, you, you know you, I used this... Uh, this idea that that uh, this idea of the puzzle that's being put together that that's what the fivefold ministry gifts are supposed to do that they that they're putting the puzzle of the body of Christ together each piece exactly where it belongs okay you know that the puzzle piece won't stay in place if it's not where it belongs right and you could try and force it into a place and you know but but it won't stay it won't stay put together and not only that we won't uh, the next thing. So, so the first thing is unity, and the next thing is the knowledge of the sun. Until, until we have all the puzzle pieces in the correct place, we can't see what the picture is. You know, the picture looks wrong. That's on the, on the puzzle. Right? That's how people put puzzles together, right? So they put the picture in front of them, and they try to put it together. Well, the picture is Jesus. And when all the puzzle pieces of the body are put in their correct place, you'll see a reflection of Christ. But when they're out of unity with one another, you won't. And th that's what the fivefold ministries are all about. It brings them to maturity, the full flower of our gifting and potential. When people, when you look at a church and you see that everybody in that church is doing what they're called to do and being released to be who they are and who God created them to be, then you know fivefold ministry gifts are flourishing in that church. But if you see a bunch of people that aren't doing anything, if you see a bunch of people that are that that would really like to be involved in ministry and aren't if you if you see a church that it's difficult to find a place to plug in and find a place to be a part of ministry then the fivefold ministry gifts are not working correctly they're out of balance if they're in balance everybody's going to just be able to stand up and be who they are and they're going to be contributing to the body and finally uh fivefold ministry gifts bring the fullness of Christ, Jesus fully present on the earth through his bride. That is so cool. Jesus wants to be as present now as he was then. He wants to be 
actually more present now than he was then because he said to us, and greater works than these shall you do. He wants to be unleashed fully through his bride at all times on the earth. And because we don't understand who he is, because the fivefold ministry gifts aren't operating like they should be, Jesus is not being revealed to the earth as he is. Especially in Western culture. We have created a church that is based on pastor and teaching gift, and we have left prophet, apostle, and evangelist behind. And because of that, Jesus isn't being fully displayed in our culture. What are the, if you talk to a non-Christian about Jesus, what do they usually say he is? What do they say he is? Yes, but there's a specific word that you'll hear. He's a what? He's a teacher. Why do you think they know that about Jesus? Because teachers lead the churches of the, of the United States of America. They only see the teacher piece of Jesus because it's only the, te- it's the teachers that are leading the charge and the other gifts aren't being put in the correct place. They think of him as a teacher because that part of him is the only part that's being really well uh, uh, represented in the body of Christ. And that's really sad because Jesus is far more than a teacher. Does this make sense to everybody? And when all five gifts are in full operation, the true nature of Jesus will be revealed to the world. That's why it's important. That's why I wanted you to take the test. Some other things that happen. When the church is in that place, unity, full of the knowledge of the Son, living maturity, and and exhibiting the fullness of Christ, will no longer be like children. We aren't going to be tossed around by every new religious idea. We're, we're going to be speaking the truth and love to one another. Wouldn't that be amazing? Can you imagine an environment where it's really honestly expected of you to speak the truth and love at all times? Can you imagine how refreshing and at the same time how absolutely frightening that <laughs> place really would be? Okay. We will grow up in all, all aspects, dimensions, and facets of Jesus. Every piece where it belongs, doing what it's supposed to be doing, each part giving to the others, not serving ourselves, but serving one another. That's awesome. That's awesome. A life lived where, just this is what we talked about this morning in the cross life. A life lived where I'm pouring out at all times, and I have no fear for my own needs to be met because everyone around me is pouring into me as I am pouring to them. First Corinthians 13 says, love doesn't think of itself. Love is always an outward, it's a giving emotion, an endlessly giving emotion. This is one of the reasons why it is important for God to be infinite. If God is not infinite, he can't be loved because love is constantly giving, constantly giving, always pouring out, pouring out, pouring out. And God is the only one who can do that forever and not be exhausted. Do you know what righteousness looks like? Receiving everything God has to give you. That's so good. 
Righteousness is drinking deep at the fountain that is God and standing up and saying, I am satisfied. That's righteousness. That's so cool. I love it. Anyway, is everybody okay? You're doing all right? Uh, I'm about to make you stand up and touch your toes again. <laughs> Speak up. Come on. All right, we're going to move on. It's just really quiet in here. It's not normal. You people are loud. Amen. <laughs> okay, so we're going to shift gears now. We're going to go to verse 17. I like an interactive culture. I don't want to just be lecturing you all the time. I want to hear from you. I want questions from the peanut gallery. I want, you know. She wants to know what chapter it is. What, what is? What chapter we're in? Ephesians 4. Four. I thought we were in 2. No, we're in Ephesians 4. <laughs> Yeah, it would be a good idea. Ephesians 4. Yes. Hey, we've made it all the way to, to chapter 4, which means by the end of the year, we might finish the whole book, which would be awesome. But I can't promise anything. What are you doing next year? I have no idea. This this year, I just, I, I really felt like the Lord said Ephesians, so we're doing Ephesians. I would be, I would really like to do Romans again. Uh, that's what I did the first year, and... That was really fun. So I'd love to do that again because I love the book of Romans. It's my bread and butter. It so is. Oh, I did Revelation, but we did last year, but we did it on a separate day where we did from morning all the way through until night. We just did, we did end times the whole time. The whole day. It was good. It was fun. It was really fun. I am totally okay. No, and we and then we had we had end of the world we had an end of the world party where we brought in snacks that were that were apocalyptically based. My I brought the seven bowls of wrath, which were all hot salsas, and and somebody brought bugles, which were the trumpets. And then we had Jesus returning on clouds of marshmallows, and we had we had some really great ideas. We really did. I'm trying to remember what was it. That's right. We had the scrolls. And I was going, eat the scroll, eat the scroll. Okay. <laughs> That's true. I forgot about the scrolls. That's funny. Well, in the book of Revelation, there's a scroll, you know, with seven seals. I am totally okay with it. Just talk to Nathan and Sophie and make it happen. All right. I mean, I don't want to like interfere. Yeah, what's up? No, no, I'll go. Can you talk a little more about like speaking truth and love? Because it's like I get, I know it's like I know that's like a really simple thing, but I feel like some people get confused with it. Like I get a little confused with it, like speaking truth and love. It's like I don't know what that really means. Speaking truth and love is is like I said, it can be really, really frightening. Um, to invite someone to speak truth because truth is scary sometimes. We don't always want to know what's the truth about who we are, right? It's it's a little scary to to invite someone to speak truth to you, because they might say something you don't like. Yeah. But speaking it in love, it means two things. Number one, it means that you're speaking it because you love the person. 
In other words, I'm not just telling you the truth because somebody's got to tell them. No, that's that that's 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 my wife right there. She's, she'll be like, well, somebody's got to say it. It might as well be me because that's the you know I love my wife so much. She's she she does not. I I tell her all the time. I said you're such a fire prophetic woman. She was like, I am not prophetic, but she really is. And she just sees truth, and she'll just be like, and just say it. And people are like, oh, my gosh, did she really just say that? You know, because I just love that about her. But anyway, <laughs> speaking the truth in love begins with, I am speaking the truth because I love you. There's a lot of truths you could speak, okay? There's a whole lot of them. But are you telling them this because you love them? Or are you telling them this because it's true? Because there's a whole lot of truths you don't ever need to say to anybody. There's just a whole lot of things that are true that you don't you don't need to say. I'm not saying you should lie, but that doesn't mean you should just offer up information to someone just because it's true. That's not necessarily right. So number one, it has to be truth spoken because of love. And number two, it has to be truth that's spoken in a loving way. You hear that? Because we make both of those mistakes. We tell the truth just because it's true and not because we love. And we also tell the truth, but we do it in such a way that is utterly devastating to the listener. We bring truth in a completely non-loving way, a thoughtless way, a way that just crushes people. If you haven't wept over this truth for them, you probably shouldn't say it to them. If you know it's something that's going to be painful, and sometimes the truth is, not always, but sometimes it is. If you haven't wept about telling them this truth, then you should not be telling them. If you can't feel what they're going to feel when you speak it, then you shouldn't be speaking it. Does that make sense? I can't tell you how many times the Lord has put something on my heart. I remember one of the first times this ever happened, I, was talk I had a, a great friend... And I was praying about something completely different, and the Lord did one of those, hey, I want to talk to you about this for a minute things, you know, where he kind of taps you on the shoulder and says, we'll talk about that later. Right now, I know I want to talk about him. And I was, you know, it's like, what, what is it, Lord? And he said, this is going on in his life. No one knows about it. I'm bringing it to your attention because I want you to talk to him about it. And I was so scared because this wasn't good it was ugly it was i knew they'd be they'd feel shame this person would feel shame because someone else knew what was going on with them and they had done a really good job of hiding it but the holy spirit was saying to me i want you to confront this in this person and so i prayed for a long time before i ever talk to them about it, first of all, to make sure that I knew that I knew that it was true. And second, to make sure that my heart was in the right place, taking this to them. And I went to this person, honestly, truthfully, with tears in my eyes. Because I know, I knew that this was going to hurt. And I said to him, I said, the Lord has said something to me. And it, and it hurts me even to say this to you. 
but I know you're dealing with this. And they started crying. So we talked and we prayed together and we walked them out of it. That's, that's another part to this. You can't just deliver truth and walk off. Just drop the bomb and then leave. You can't do that. You've got to bring truth and then love them through it. Sometimes it takes love to make you courageous enough to actually tell the truth. Please love people enough to correct them. Please love people enough to tell them the truth when they don't want to hear it. Do it the right way. Do it because you love them, but do it. If you see someone who is really struggling with an issue and you know you could bring truth into the midst of that, that would give them freedom because that's what Jesus said. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's what truth does. But you better love them before you say it. You better love them as you say it. And you better love them after you say it. we all did that can you imagine what this place would be like can you imagine what what the church would be like if we were absolutely lovingly honest with one another at all times to when we actually spoke to each other about the thing you know and you guys know what it's like to be in a you guys living in community so you know what it's like to have an elephant in the room and the person on the other side doesn't know what's going on, but knows there's something going on and nobody's talking to him about it. You've experienced that. There's no way you've been living in a community this long and not experienced that once or twice. Everybody else know what's, knows, you know, they all know what's going on. Is one of you going to actually love this person enough to talk to them about it? I was talking to Jer the other, yesterday about an experience I had where I heard an elder, someone much older than me, say some things that he should not have been saying. In church, he was saying it about leadership, and he was saying it loud enough that I was standing like from me to Scott from him, and I could hear everything that he said. Now, most of the church, what they will do in a situation like that is they will go find their best friend and be like, you are never going to believe what I just heard this person say. Right? Isn't that what they would do? And I could have done that. And honestly, I just kept walking. And I walked around the corner and I stopped for a minute and said, oh, Holy Spirit, what am I supposed to do with this? And he said to me, you know what you're supposed to do with it. Matthew 18, you go to them and you talk to them about it. And I went, he is 30 years older than me, probably more than that, actually. And I respect this man, and not as much as I did until five, you know, five minutes ago, but I respect them now. You know what I mean? I respect their walk with Christ, and here I am, this puny little guy, and I'm going to come and talk to him about this. He said, yes, you need to go, and that's why I put you in the place where you were when you heard the conversation. And I was like, crap. So I did the, 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 the really faith-filled, awesome thing. And I said, For, fine, Lord. Then he needs, if he is in the next place that I go, because I was headed somewhere, I was like, if he's there by himself, I will talk to him about it. And the Lord is a jerk. 
Because <laughs> I walked around the corner, went to where I was going to go, and there he was. By himself. I was like, <laughs> So I closed the door. And I talked to him. And it was incredibly intimidating. My whole insides were like, <laughs> Yes, you can still feel that way even when you're 37 years old. You can still be intimidated by someone. And I totally was. I want you to know that my relationship with this man has only gotten better since that day. He totally owned it. He repented to me. He apologized to the person that he said it to in the first place. And he came back to me. And a couple times since then, he said to me, he had said to me, I want you to know, I haven't said anything like that since you talked to me. I didn't ask him to be like beholden to me about his conversations. But that moment was a moment where I had the opportunity to speak the truth in love to a man who I cared about. And please don't think I'm exalting myself in this. I just wanted to give you an example. Because there's been many more times when the same thing has happened and I've done it exactly what I told you not to do. I did it right once. <laughs> I've probably done it right more than once. But I'm just saying, there's been a lot of times when I did it wrong and I didn't speak the truth in love and I went in, behind someone's back and I... I remember a few years ago, um, I was upset with the way that the youth group in this church was being run. This is before I was youth pastor. And I had this little group that some of, one of them was my accountability partner and a couple others were just friends. And we would get together and we would just talk about this pastor, the guy that was pastor at the time. And I've been here through seven youth pastors. So none of you are going to be able to figure out which one it was. Just FYI. I was talking to, and my sister, Brittany, was in the house. We were doing this. We were just hanging out. I think it was a small group or something. And she heard me talking about it. And she, the next day, she wrote me an email and said, I'm worried that you are becoming someone that you aren't and you haven't been. I heard the things that you said last night, and it really hurt me to hear you talk that way about someone who God put in a position of authority. And I, I can't be around you if this is the way that you're going to act. Right? My little sister sent me that email. And tell you the truth, the Lord picked the right person because there is nobody in, there's really almost nobody in this world that I respect more than Brittany. That's the truth. She has a heart of gold. And if any of you know her, you know that that's true. And the fact that she brought this to me, my little sister, she's had me wrapped around her pinky finger since the time she was born. And she still does. And I'm proud of it. And she's, she brings this to me? That was a punch in the nuts right there. <laughs> it was. I, there is no better way to describe it. That is what it was. It was like... Oh, the Holy Spirit was like showing me my ugly self and saying, do you see? And I just said, I, I repented to her. I apologized to my friends and I apologized to this leader. I said, I, I will never do that to you again.
because somebody spoke the truth to me in love. She didn't come to me with this, I caught you, da 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 da. She didn't come with this, you're a horrible person. She just said, Boy, that really hurt me when I heard you say that. Oh, she came to me and left. And she cared about me enough to point something out to me that I didn't see it for myself. It's a powerful thing. And I ask you, please, do not abuse it. Do not abuse the right we've been given to speak to one another in love. You better be sure that you love that person. You better be sure that it's the truth. And you better be sure that you are saying it in the most loving way possible. And if there is any hint, any shred of self-righteousness in the way that you communicate, you should shut your mouth. Because you're not better than them. This is what Jesus meant when he said, get the log out of your own eye before you get the speck out of your brother's. Thank you for asking me. Are we good? Okay. I do want to spend the next, the last, uh, the rest of our time here in the next part, but it is a completely separate subject. So if there's anything else that needs, needs to be asked or said, now is your chance. Father, give us the discernment to understand when to speak, how to speak, and what to speak at all times. Put a burden of love on our hearts. Lord, I pray we would feel the debt of love that we owe to our brothers and sisters. And we would live in a place of mature humility. We would care for one another enough to speak the truth in love. In Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, I was, on Sunday as Sarah was speaking, the Lord was kind of just downloading some stuff to me about... Uh, this idea of, of Christian culture, the idea of being born again, because we're talking about crossing cultures, right? That was the kind of the, the crux of the message on Sunday. Loving enough to go outside of your culture and go into someone else's and, and, and you know, make yourself uncomfortable for their sake, that, that kind of idea. And, I, and, and there was this really interesting thought that came to my mind and Jesus said to me, I want you to, I was thinking about when Jesus said in John chapter 3 where he said, you must be born again. If you look at the original language there, it says you must be born from above. And the Lord began to talk to me and he said, you know, your culture is the thing you were born into. This is the language that you first learned as a kid. It's the, it's the things that happened all around you in your family. That's, that's what creates your culture. And he said to me, Josh, what, I want, what must happen in the heart of a person who goes from darkness into light is they must exchange the culture they were born with with another culture and be born into another culture called the kingdom of heaven. 
that they must give up. And he said, this is, he said, I want a people who, who's, who changed their native tongue. No longer is English my native tongue. Grace is my native tongue. Then my first response isn't the first response of the world. My first response is the response of my culture, which is kingdom culture, heaven culture, and that's forgiveness. Not retaliation, but forgiveness. Not rebellion, but submission. Not sticking to my guns, but repentance. And then he spoke this word to me. This word kind of sailed into my brain, and it's the word humiliation. And I was like, that's not a good thing. Humiliation isn't a good thing. And he said, look it up. And the word humiliation means to be made humble. Because we don't ever think of it that way, do we? We don't think of it as humiliation as a good thing. And, and Jesus, he gave me this little, uh, I'll read it to you. It's terrible, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. This little, some, I'm still working on it actually because I, I accidentally deleted it. <laughs> The cross is our culture, grace our native tongue, sacrifice our starting place, humiliation our home base. I was like, ugh, ugh, I don't even want to say that. I live, I begin at humiliation. What? That's, ugh. The fight's against my flesh so hard. My whole, All of my flesh is like, ew, no, because I hate humiliation. But Jesus, Jesus embraced humiliation to, to bring me in. How much more should I be the same? Mourning is our joy. Pierce us, we pray for you. Betray us, we wash your feet. Attack us, we welcome you. Ask for a mile, and we'll give you two. This is a picture, an outline of kingdom culture, and it doesn't look anything like the world. And if we actually were walking this out everywhere that we go, people would say, those are the weirdest people I have ever encountered. They're unbelievably generous, and they have hardly anything. <laughs> they, they, we were really mean to them, and they just loved us more. This is what it means to have the, the, the reality of Jesus living on the inside of us. This is what cross life looks like. That's why. It's because when we know who he is, we know who we are. And because we know who we are, we have nothing to fear. Because <clears throat> where does retaliation come from? Where does pride come from? All of these things, they're all, I have to protect myself. And in the Christian universe, in the culture of the kingdom of heaven, I have no impulse to protect myself. That leads into verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. 
They have become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ this way. If you, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with lust of deceit. And you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with others who have need. I love that. That's so cool. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for the edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. This is cross life. Attack me, I welcome you. Ask me for a mile and I'll give you two. Betray me and I wash your feet. Realize Jesus washed Judas' feet knowing full well what he was about to do. It was humiliation for him to wash Peter's feet, the guy that was closest to him, to wash John's feet, the the beloved disciple. It was humiliation for Jesus to wash John's feet. And Jesus washed Judas' feet, the man who was going to betray him and send him to the cross only hours From that moment, Jesus bent down and washed his feet. That is unbelievable. But that's the cross. That's what Jesus invited us into. He turned to them and said, now do this to each other likewise. I've only been a part of a few foot washing services in my life. They're incredibly embarrassing. But the one I will never, ever, ever forget, we were at Prayer Summit years ago. It was a bunch of pastors praying for one another. And this issue of this of the kind of war between the generations was what we were praying into. Father, forgive the younger generation for ignoring the older and counting them not worthy. Father, forgive the older generation from blocking the younger and stifling their dreams. And we were this is the kind of thing we were praying for. That God would bring father and son back together. And the guy who was leading our prayer time said, this is what I want to do. And I feel like the Holy Spirit wants us to do this as a prophetic act. I want two members of the older generation to wash the feet of two members of the younger generation. And as soon as he said it, I knew exactly what was about to happen. My dad turned to me and said, can I wash your feet? 
I lost it. He goes, come on, it's okay. And he washed my feet and I washed his. And there was another guy who was an older guy and a younger man. And I won't ever forget it because what else can you say? I choose to serve a generation that's not my own. This is who we've been called to be. A forgiving people. Reading a book right now by this lunatic guy who's really great. It's the name of the book is Radical Forgiveness. And I read a story yesterday about this woman. She was now, I think, an Albanian. Is that right? I can probably pull it up on here, but anyway. Back at the turn of the century in the 1900s, not the 2000s, back at the 1900s, about 1912, 1913, there was a genocide that happened there, a racial cleansing that happened there. Racial cleansing, I hate that word, but that's that was the idea. One race was trying to kill out and kill off another. And it was made legal to kill to rape, to do anything you wanted to, to the people of that race. And this woman, her father and brothers were killed by soldiers, and she and her sisters and her mother were raped by those soldiers. And then they were the slaves of, of, of these soldiers for a period of time. And years later, after everything it was over with, and this woman had become a nurse, and she'd been trained as a nurse, and she was in this place where soldiers were coming in from World War One, and they were being, or World, I don't know, one of the world wars, and they were being treated. And she walked over to this one guy who was on death's door, and as she began to treat him and save his life, she realized that it was the soldier who had raped her and enslaved her for however long it was. And she did save his life. And when he was, when he came to several days later, she was still taking care of him. And he looks up at her and says, do I know you? And it, the story said that she just nodded at him. And he realized who she was. And he says to her, why on earth didn't you just let me die? And the woman said one sentence. She said, because I am a follower of the one who said, love your enemies. This is what it means. This is what the gospel does in the human heart. It gives the ability to save the life of the one who raped and imprisoned you. It gives the ability to receive completely <coughs> horrible treatment from someone and turn around and say, I love you and I forgive you. You owe me nothing. And this is what makes the gospel different than every other religion on the planet. Because every other religion says, do right and you will be blessed, do wrong and you will be cursed, and that's it. 
The gospel says, do right and you will be blessed. Do wrong and you will be cursed. Do wrong and then repent and you will be blessed and forgiven and set free. And the only way to God, the only way to God is to receive forgiveness from him, period. That's what Christianity says. The gospel says your only way to heaven is grace. You can't earn your way there. Impossible. You cannot earn your way to, to God. You have to receive grace from him to come. And it's nothing that you can earn. It's nothing that you can buy. It's nothing you can work your whole life and achieve. You have to receive it as a free gift from God to you. His righteousness becomes yours. And your sinfulness goes and is nailed to the cross with him. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you have to repent, not just of your sin, but of your self-righteousness. You have to repent of the sin that you committed, but you also have to repent of any attempt to earn the favor of God. And then once you're living in that place of grace, you have to turn and you have to give grace to every single person that you meet. I, I don't know for sure why God, why I'm t sharing this right now. But I feel like there are some people in this room that really, you need to hear this today. You will never be free until you forgive. You've been holding yourself and, the, and others up to this high standard that you can't even meet. And until you forgive them and forgive yourself, you will never be free and you will never be connected to God the way that you want to be. It's not going to happen. God has called you to be a steward of grace. Be the pardon of God to the world. Holy Spirit, I don't want to grieve you. I want to flow with you. I don't want to stand in your way. Would you give us the grace to flow with you, to walk in step with you, Holy Spirit? Would you teach us to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and slander, and malice, and put away. Would you teach us to let those things go? Would you teach us to let go of our rights, quote-unquote, to stop demanding anything from anyone? Would you teach us to 
say goodbye to offense and say, no, they owe me nothing because that's what you did for us. Lord, I pray that there would be such a powerful revelation of the incredible gift that you gave to us when you looked on the things that we did to you and you said, I'll pay for that. When you looked at the things that we did, the ways that we spit in your face and gave you the middle finger, the ways that we cursed you and hated you, the ways that we walked and ran away from you, when you looked at all of those, you said, not only did you say, I'm not going to hold you accountable for that, but you said, I will pay for that. I pray that there would be such a, a ground-shaking revelation of that truth in our hearts that we would have no choice but say the same about the men and the women and the brothers and the sisters and the children that are, exist in our lives. Fathers, mothers, leaders, friends. That we would look at all that they've done to us, against us. All that they've said about us. That was wrong and unjust and that we would say, you owe me nothing. That we would let it go. The gospel would give us the power to love those people. To care about them. To be vulnerable with them again. Teach us to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven us. I pray in Jesus' name.